And we begin this message in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Through the past several weeks, here at St. John's, we've been talking about faith that perseveres, and talking about faith enough to finish. Well, today, as we come towards the end of that series, we're going to talk about how it's so hard to have faith that perseveres, to talk about what it is that which interferes, distracts, dissuades us from faith that perseveres. And so we turn today to the book of James. Now, the book of James is kind of unique in the scriptures, for it never talks about Jesus. In fact, Martin Luther, when he was translating the scriptures into German, thought that maybe James didn't belong in the Bible because it never talks about Jesus. But what the book of James does talk about as you read through those, that short book is all of those things that impact how we live our lives. And all of those things that impact how we as the people of God strive to have faith that perseveres. He begins the book of James by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the only place it comes in, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. The 12 tribes of the dispersion. Now, that's a term that is used in the Old Testament to refer to the children of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it's believed that James is one of the first books written that's in the New Testament. And it was written not following Paul's work among the Gentiles, but really written to those who were the Jewish Christians those who had come out of the faith of the Old Testament and had come to follow Jesus. And James today talks to us about temptation. We could pick any one of the topics that he talks about because James talks about enduring hardship as the people of God, the challenges that we face as trying to be faithful and persevere to the end. So he talks about practical issues faced by mature Christians. Impatience. Failure to do what is right. Favoritism. Apathy. Selfishness. Now just, just think about that list. I'm going to read it again. Just think about that list and how those are the things we struggle with in our own daily lives as the people of God. Impatience. Failure to do what is right. Favoritism. Apathy. Selfishness. And then James talks about the power of the tongue. And he says the tongue is the most powerful organ in our bodies, for it controls everything that we say. And he says that 
The tongue is so powerful that out of one side of our mouth we praise God. And out of the other side of our mouth we curse our brother and sister. Those issues, any one of those issues could make a sermon and could keep us here all morning. But I want to focus on the overriding part of that, and that is temptation to do those things and how temptation works in our lives. James talks about encouragement, and James is trying to share with those strong early Christians what it is to be the people of God, and he says this, which is rather strange. He says, count it joy when you meet trials in your life, for the testing of faith produces steadfastness and perfection in your faith. Count it joy when you meet trials. I don't know about you, but that's not easy for me to do. In fact, it's just the opposite. Trials tend to bring me down. Trials tend to frustrate me. I mean, when I think about all the trials we've gone through the last couple years, I didn't have a lot of joy many days. But James says, count it joy when you face trials because those trials strengthen your faith as you go through them. That the the challenge of living through the trials is that which helps us to become stronger as children of God. And he says, let the lowly boast in exaltation and let the rich in humiliation For it's then that we understand that we are the children of God. And it's not all about us. Blessed is the man or the woman who remains steadfast under trials. Who stood the test and received the crown of life. We know a lot about crowns. We know a lot about awards. We know a lot about victories. In another week and a half or so, somebody will win the World Series. Now, unfortunately, it's not the Dodgers. But we know somebody is going to compete and finally win the World Series because they have worked hard and they've competed hard and they have trained and they have built themselves into a winning team. We know about people who get gold medals in competition. And those kinds of crowns or those kinds of medals are the kind of medals given out of success, given out of hard work and determination. But the crown of righteousness is not one that is won through great competition. But the crown of righteousness is won through faithfulness to God and being able to work through those temptations in our life. But then James goes on to say, when you are tested, when trials come into your life, don't blame God. Ever done that? Have you ever heard or maybe said something like, why did God 
allow this to happen? Why did God do this? One of those phrases that always galls me when I hear it, it's the will of God that you suffer. It's the will of God that bad things happen in your life. And James says, when you suffer, when you're tempted, don't blame God, for God cannot be tempted. We know where temptation comes from. It doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. It comes from the adversary of God. From the very beginning, there in the garden, after God has created the garden, after God has created the man and the woman and given them everything they need, who shows up in the form of a snake? But Satan. And what does Satan say to Eve? Did God say that you shouldn't eat of the fruit of the garden? Did God say this? Did God say that? And of course we know that temptation always looks good. It isn't temptation if it doesn't look good. It isn't temptation if it isn't desirous. But God makes the fruit of the tree, the apple, so desirous. And when Adam is confronted by God and Adam says, and it looks so good that we ate. Or what about Lot and his family? Rescued by Abraham out of Sodom and Gomorrah and the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and their life being saved from the destruction. But as they were leaving their home and as they were fleeing the destruction, Lot's wife just couldn't resist turning back for one last look. Temptation is always desirous. Or what about David? David, that great man of God, when king, but he sees the beautiful Bathsheba out in the, in the pool, and she looked so good. And he falls to the temptation. But there was one who was able to resist. And it was our Lord Jesus Christ. For remember that after he was baptized, he was led out into the wilderness, and there he was tempted by the devil. And three times, the devil tempts Jesus and three times, Jesus uses the word of God to turn against the devil. And the devil goes, it says at the end of the temptation of Jesus, and the devil goes away until a better time, a more appropriate time. And in the life of Jesus, where does the devil show up? He shows up in the garden on the night that Jesus is betrayed to try once more. But we're told that after Jesus was tempted, 
angels came and ministered to him. You see, that's part of what James tries to teach us in his book on Christian life is that there is a God who ministers to us even in the midst of temptation. That as angels minister to Jesus, our God is there for us to strengthen and to relieve us. If we want to know about our own personal temptations, we only have to look to the commandments. For Martin Luther says in his catechism that the commandments are given to us by God to show us why we needed Jesus. To show us why we too stumble and fall. And all we have to do is read through them. And we can say, well, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty good with number one. I'm not necessarily so good with number three. Or it goes on, but they're there for us. Next Sunday, we celebrate the Reformation. And the great struggle that Martin Luther had as he struggled with his own personal faith as a teacher of the scriptures is he could never believe that he was good enough to please God. He was always overwhelmed by his own sinfulness, his own giving in to temptation. And Luther would punish himself so much so that he became sick because he felt the temptations that came to him from Satan were so overwhelming and so severe that God could never forgive until Luther really met Jesus and until he realized that Christ went to the cross because we give in to temptation. That Christ went to the cross because of our own sinfulness. That Christ died and rose again for us that we might be forgiven by God. Not because we have earned it, but because he's loved us. Remember in the Lord's Prayer? That one petition in the Lord's Prayer says, and lead us not into temptation? Well, what does that mean? If God doesn't tempt us, what does it mean when we pray and lead us not in temptation? Well, Luther explains it this way in the Catechism. God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame. We pray that God would protect us. And then we go on to the, after we pray, lead us not into temptation, what do we say? Deliver us from evil. And what does that mean? We pray that God would deliver us from every evil of body and soul, possession and reputation. James is reminding us as the people of God, as those of people of faith, that we have a God who loves us and cares for us, and we have an adversary who is continually trying to deceive, to trick, to lure. 
and oftentimes he's successful. But James goes on to say that we are the crown of God's creation. In the story of creation in Genesis 1, we have that marvelous picture of God creating the heavens and the earth and God creating the seas and the land and God creating all the animals and God creating all that was there. And then at the very end, in the last of creation, God creates people. God creates man and woman. He creates family as the ultimate creation. And then he gives to the man and the woman the responsibility to care for his creation. Remember that list at the beginning? Impatience. Failure to do what is right. Favoritism. Apathy. Selfishness. The power of the tongue. I will be so glad when the elections are over. I am sick and tired of hearing people treat one another so badly. I like to know what candidates stand for, but I don't appreciate how they treat one another. Thank God it does end. So James, at the end of this conversation, at the end in, in James chapter 5, he says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of righteous people has great power as it is working. If we want to know about the struggle with temptation and the gifts of God, all we have to do is look at the Psalms. For in Psalms, David over and over again struggles with his own temptations and the blessings of God. In Psalm 51, for example, beginning at verse 3, David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And then he goes on. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So as we end this sermon today, we're going to do just that. I hope in some place along the day in this sermon I've made you a little uncomfortable. 
I know I am. I hope in some place along this few minutes, you've thought about how temptation works in your life. And you know, we all have our favorite temptations. We all have our favorite things that we just love, even though we know they're wrong. So take a moment. Think about how temptation works in your life. Think for a moment of those sins that have led you to come this morning to hear the word of God. Just take a moment to think about how temptation has worked even this week. Maybe impatience, maybe failure to do what is right, maybe favoritism, apathy, selfishness, the misuse of the tongue. Father, we confess before you that we don't always resist temptation, even though we try, and sometimes we don't try. But Father, we know that we come to you this day because your Son died on the cross to forgive all of our sin and to give us a crown of righteousness and lead us home. And so it is, Father, as we come today, create in us a clean heart and restore unto us the joy of salvation. And it's my honor and my privilege as a called and ordained servant of Christ to say to you today, your sins are forgiven. The sins of yesterday, the sins of today, the sins of tomorrow. For Christ died and rose again that we might be daily forgiven. For in the water of baptism we have made, been made one with him. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I announce to you the forgiveness of all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.